Um, if you're tuning in on YouTube, by the way, don't forget to hit the, uh, uh, give this video a like. Uh, it helps us get the word out and pass along. And uh, it's kind of fun how the Lord uses these prophecy updates kind of all around the world to uh, reach different people. And, uh, and it's good. So, so uh, that helps us out, gets the word out a little bit uh, for us. Um, well, as you can see, I thought it'd be good for us to uh, talk about a subject that uh, some of you might say, well, I already know about that. Uh, but I want us to be equipped not only to know what the word teaches about this, but also equipped to encourage our other brothers and sisters. Because I've noticed that people are across, all across the boards vary quite differently on what they believe about voting and about elections and about our responsibility. Um, big questions, you know, does our vote even matter? You know, there's some people that say it doesn't matter because, well, there's so many millions of votes and there's so much, you know, corruption and who knows if this and that and who knows that and the other. So some people say, well, I'm not gonna vote. Uh, other people say, no, 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 uh, God already knows the future. God's sovereign, so because he's sovereign, why vote? The Lord's gonna work things out and he's gonna put men up. The Lord's the one who raises men up and puts men down. And I've noticed there's Christians that have that kind of attitude. Um, uh, by the way, th th there's a same attitude that's wrong you know, in things like missionary work. Um, I've noticed some of the hardcore God sovereignty people, which um, I believe in God sovereignty, of course. But there's some people that almost take it like, well, we don't even need to do missionary work because God already chose people who he's gonna save and who he's not gonna save, so why should we go out and do missionary work? Even though the Bible tells us to do missionary work and to go out in all the world and preach the gospel. So um, somebody's wrong and it's not the Bible. So uh, <laughs> I think that's an important thing, but it's, it's, it's sort of a, a relative, that topic to what we're talking about, about God's sovereignty and voting and stuff like that. Um, you know, and there's all kinds of things that people want to say about, uh, you know, why should we uh, vote? And what does that have to do? And, and then also, as it relates to Bible prophecy, the days we're living, I think there's a, a great link. You, you might be saying, Brent, why talk about this and a prophecy update? Well, I think we're uh, living in really, really interesting times. And I think this current vote um, will have much to do with the way things unfold. Um, you're like, well, Brett, uh, then that goes back to the thing, well, God's organizing everything, so just whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen. Um, well, I, I, I don't know about that. We'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, you know, should I help the Lord along? Some of you might even be crazy enough to say, hey, let's just vote for the worst people and let's get this thing rolling. You know, it's like, <laughs> get, um, you know, <laughs> let's just get the rapture of the church and uh, make it happen. Well, now you're an Iranian wanting the um, 12th Imam to come and nuclear destruction. So we don't want to take that mindset. That's a bad mindset. Um, uh, so all that to say, let's, let's consider what the scriptures have to say. And, and if you would, turn to 2 Thessalonians this evening, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's review this little passage uh, as it is so powerful and so important. Paul hits some heavy topics here as it relates to um, end times, Bible prophecy, the coming Antichrist, all that's uh, tackled here by Paul the Apostle. It's pretty, pretty powerful stuff. It starts there in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. Okay, quiz time. There's two events that are mentioned in that verse. What are the two events we just read about? Right, the rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus. Don't be confused, they're not the same. Uh, remember the rapture of the church happens? I believe the Bible's clear on this, if you ask me. I, I believe in a pre-trib rapture. The rapture of the church is the next thing that's gonna happen on the list of things to do. 
And then there's a seven year period called the tribulation and then the second coming of Jesus. So this verse says both things. Uh, he says, I'm, I'm gonna talk to you brothers. He's saying about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's his coming. And then also by our gathering together unto him. That would be the rapture that he talked about in 1 Thessalonians chapter four, when he said, um, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up and meet him in the air. That's the, the Greek word harpazo, where, the, where we get our Latin word rapture. Uh, the, the King Jimmy puts it caught up. Uh, say it however you want. Uh, some people wrongly try to say, well, the word rapture is not even in the Bible. Um, and they act like they're coming up with something new. Uh, but it's actually, it's very, very old. The word rapture goes into the Latin Vulgate uh, translation of the Bible. That's where that word came from. But call it what you want. Harpazo, rapture, caught up in the air, meeting the Lord in the air, whatever you want to say. That's what's being talked about clearly in First Thessalonians chapter four. And now he's referring to that and the second coming in verse one. Well, he goes on, verse two, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us as that day of Christ is at hand. Now pause once again. One of the things I like to remind people, especially these prophecy updates is if you're getting heebie-jeebies and freaking out and afraid and, oh, this is horrible, then we're doing something wrong. Uh, the Bible prophecy study should be calming it should give us our great hope and our great trust in the Lord. And, and uh, you know, if you're just a normal person with, without the Lord, there's a lot to be afraid of in the world today. Um, but if you're a Christian who knows that God is a plan unfolding, we know that the Lord's working all these things together for good for us. It's all gonna work out good in the end. And, and almost every time we read about Bible prophecy, the word is reminding us, you know, let not your heart be troubled. You know, don't be shaken, it says here or, or um, shaken in mind or troubled, neither uh, by letter or by spirit, by the word you know, that we're reading. Don't let that worry you or freak you out. Um, that's one of the characteristics of, a, of good Bible prophecy study will, will calm us down and make us realize it's gonna work out. Even when the Lord talks about his wrath in 1 Thessalonians chapter five, he says, wherefore comfort one another uh, with these words. We can comfort the, the, each other that we're not appointed unto wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ. So we have a great and glorious message. It's not doom and gloom, it's boom and zoom. Uh, the rapture of the church, head up to be with the Lord and have eternity with the Lord in heaven. That's what we're looking forward to. So uh, that's kind of a, a key part of what we're doing here. And verse two kind of sums that up. He goes on in verse three, it says, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? Paul's saying, do you remember that we ta already talked about this? Uh, and, and by the way, this is something Jesus talked about. We're talking about an event that um, many of you Bible prophecy buffs already know, and that is when, when the, the you know, Antichrist comes, he's gonna be wanting to be worshiped as God in place of God. That's what Antichrist really means, in place of. And he's gonna come and set himself up to be worshiped in the temple. It's called the abomination of desolation that Daniel talked about, Daniel chapter nine. And also in uh, Matthew 24, Jesus talked about that. He said, even as the prophet 
Daniel spoke of the abomination that uh, makes things desolate. Uh, that's that, that moment in time. Question, quiz time. When is the abomination gonna happen in the timeline? Right in the middle, three and a half years, right in the middle of the tribulation period. That'll mark the very center of the tribulation period. Um, and uh, so the first three and a half years, you know, he'll be tricking everyone, uh, especially the Jews, except for us. We're gonna be in heaven, of course, in the marriage feast of the Lamb. But during that first three and a half years, uh, Antichrist is gonna make a peace treaty with the Jews. Things are gonna seem rosy. Um, and then uh, he's gonna be revealed for who he is when he stands in the temple in Jerusalem that'll be rebuilt. Um, and, uh, and he'll declare himself as God and demand to be worshiped as God. And uh, this is what's being referred to. He's called, you know, the son of perdition. Uh, and, um, and, and all that to say, you know, here Paul says, don't let anybody deceive you about this. This is gonna happen. Um, he says, but that day will not come. The abomination of desolation will not come or the day of Christ will not come until there's a falling away first. Um, and kind of mark that because uh, that word falling away is kind of important in our discussion here. We'll talk about that later. Uh, now, all that to say, this is where we kind of get to the crux of the matter in verse six. It says, and now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. So there's something withholding the revelation of who this Antichrist is. And by the way, this is one of the passages where I believe we are not gonna necessarily know the identity of the Antichrist until the rapture of the church is, is done. That's gonna happen then, the identity of the Antichrist. So it's really futile when these people try to speculate of who the Antichrist is. And the reason I think that's really something we should never do is because what if you're wrong? Uh, I remember back in the 80s, there were some wacko people saying, Ronald Wilson Reagan, uh, six letters, six letters, six letters. And I think he lives on 666 Rodeo Drive, Hollywood, or something like that. Like there was all kinds of speculation that Ronald Reagan, now by the way, um, I liked Ronald, and I think it was just kind of insulting to say that he was the Antichrist, and they were uh, obviously wrong. If you're wrong about calling someone Satan, I think you're in big trouble. Uh, I don't think God appreciates you calling someone Satan when they're not. <clears throat> so all that to say, uh, I've heard it, you know, popes are Antichrist, or this or that person's the Antichrist. Uh, we don't do that. We, we, we say, uh, that's gonna happen, and he won't be revealed. And I'll show, I'll show you as that, as that kind of shakes out. But there's something sort of withholding. That's what the word is that's used here in verse six. And now you know what withholdeth um, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery, verse seven, of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit um, of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. And it says, verse 12, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Wow, this is pretty heavy. 
Um, now, one of the things about this uh, that's a little tricky is I think some of this start, as you're reading this, you're like, man, this is like the days we're living right now. Could we be living in the tribulation right now? Some people believe that we're living in the tribulation right now. But no, we're not living in the tribulation right now. Why? Anybody? Because we're, we're still here. Hello. The rapture of the church. Uh, but Brad, we're, we, we don't believe in a literal rapture and all that stuff. Well, um, I, I just believe taking the Bible literally is very rewarding. Uh, and uh, it, it's, it's, it's very clear when you just kind of read the whole Bible. And I think pre-trib rapture is the, the, the you know, belief that is most easily, uh, you know, um, you know, received. If you just, re if you're stuck on a desert island and you didn't have a bunch of scholars to help you, I think you'd kind of figure out what the Bible says. It's very simple. But all that to say, you say, Brett, this sounds like the days we're living. Well, um, one of the things the Bible does talk about is how things will ramp up. Uh, remember that tacos word that we talked about? That with great speed and rapidity, it's gonna, you know, rev up as time gets closer to the end. And we're gonna see sort of shadows and faint you know, images of what's coming. And I think that's what we're seeing. We'll talk more about that too. But there's some key things here that I think we need to understand is this idea of who is withholding. That's the interesting fancy word there that uh, is used in the King James, withholding. If you look it up in the uh, ESV, look at verse six through eight uh, in the ESV, if you kind of check that out. It says, and you know what is restraining. That's the word restraining that's used in the ESV, and that's a good word. There's something withholding, there's something restraining him uh, so that he may be revealed in this time. There's, there's not gonna be an antichrist come onto the scene because there's something, someone withholding or restraining. Um, uh, and verse seven, uh, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains, there it is again, restrains, um, will, uh, will do so when? Until he be taken out of the way. Uh, this is interesting. So there's some things which restraining, uh, Antichrist and the son of perdition being revealed in the tribulation period. There's something restraining that. Um, and it's gonna restrain until he be taken out of the way. And then, then it says the lawless one will be revealed uh, in his time. Uh, you know, uh, whom the Lord uh, Jesus uh, uh, is gonna reveal at that time. Now, by the way, um, uh, interesting because in, um, in, uh, Verse two, uh, there's, there's, or verse eight, I should say, of chapter two. Uh, there's, there's a little thing I wanna show you. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall continue, uh, consume with the spirit of his mouth. Now, this is interesting. Why does the spirit of his mouth come out in this one? Well, here's the thing. Now, let's back up in our text here. Um, if you're looking back at your Bible, um, because th this is key. When it says um, there's someone withholding, and then it says, verse seven, the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. The word let, we don't use it like that anymore, like the King James time, except for in one thing, tennis. And when you play tennis and the ball uh, hits the net, it's called a let. Uh, the, the net had withhold, withheld the ball from a, a, a perfect trajectory and let it go where it's was trying to go, where you wanted it to go. And so that was, that's the word let. And it's the same idea, that something that's withholding or letting is not allowing it to pass. That's the idea here. So, um, so then the question is, who is this? Who is the one restraining or letting? Well, this is where you have an argument. Some scholars say it's the Holy Spirit. Other people say it's us, the Christian church. And I say, yes, 
Both. Um, it's the Holy Spirit as he works through the church of Jesus Christ. Do you remember when Jesus died on the cross? He spent three chapters, John 14, 15, and 16, talking about the Holy Spirit that's gonna come after him. I'm gonna send my Holy Spirit. Now here's a question. Was the Holy Spirit around before Jesus was born in Bethlehem? Yes, because there's all kinds of Old Testament stories about the Holy Spirit that came upon Samson. Uh, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the earth in creation. Like there's all kinds of mentions of the Spirit. But in dispensationalism, one of the things we see is the Spirit moves. It's almost like the Holy Spirit has somewhat different assignments during the various dispensations. We went over dispensationalism, uh, was that last month? I forget when we went over that. But, um, but all that to say, um, the Holy Spirit is gonna be taken out of the way with the rapture of the church. Why is that? How do we know that? Well, the Holy Spirit uniquely moves in his church. That's what Jesus was talking about. Uh, quiz time. What are some of the things the Holy Spirit does in his church according to Jesus, John 14, 15, 16? Anybody? Somebody said it reminds us of truth. What else? Points to Jesus. That's a big one. He, he will glorify me. He will testify of me, says in John 15, John 16. That's a huge one. Holy Spirit points to Jesus. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, there's other ones. He will uh, convict the world of sin. Like that's part of what the Holy Spirit will do. Read John 14, 15, 16. That's a key passage understanding when Jesus says, it's good that I'm leaving you. And I'm sure that as I was like, that's not good. But Jesus said, no, it's good. It's expedient that I leave you because I'm leaving my Holy Spirit to be with you. Remember, he says he's gonna be with you, he's gonna be in you, and he's gonna be upon you. Remember that whole thing? But what happens when the church is taken up with the rapture of the church? As it turns out, the Holy Spirit's gonna be taken up, it seems, with the church. But Brett, are you saying the Holy Spirit's not gonna be on the earth during the tribulation? Oh, he will be. But just like in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit moved differently than he would in the church of Jesus Christ. Take the, take the uh, church out again, and I think that the Holy Spirit's gonna go back more in a mode like he did in the Jewish days, the Jewish time of the Old Testament, um, where he came upon Samson, and Samson killed all the Philistines. Uh, that kind of Holy Spirit moving. Uh, that's gonna be more like what's gonna happen in the tribulation period, and that's why this verse is kind of important. Um, then, you know, after the rapture of the church and the wicked one, the Antichrist is revealed, then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. The spirit's gonna move very differently during the tribulation period. So uh, all that to say, I know we're getting into some kind of uh, crazy stuff here, but, but the main thing you need to take away is the rapture of the church is going to be the, the thing that's taken out of the way. The, the, the Holy Spirit moving in and through his church to be a light, to be salt, to be withholding. Um, can you imagine what the world would look like if you just took all the true believers out of the world all at once? Um, what would slow down some of the crazy things that we're seeing right now? Because right now, the only thing that's put, just barely tapping the brakes, and it feels a little bit to me like a runaway train, but um, we're still, the church is still the one tapping the brakes, trying to say, wait a minute, abortion is wrong. Training uh, children in gender sexual identity is horrifying. Um, you know, all the stuff that we're seeing kind of go crazy against the Lord and against his word, it's the church that's kind of withholding and not allowing, if you would, uh, the, the, the atmosphere for the Antichrist to be really primed and ready. So when the Holy Spirit will be removed, it'll be like taking a stopper out of a bottle 
and the liquid of lawlessness will pour out all over the world. That's what this, that's what this passage says, if you can imagine that. When the Holy Spirit is, well, when will he be taken out? I believe that's gonna happen at the same time of the rapture of the church. Um, so uh, all that to say, um, you, know, that, you know, so what's the point? The point that I'm making is this, that the Holy Spirit is, is, is at work through the church today to do the work of withholding, restraining. Could it be that part of our job description is to be the ones tapping the brakes? or making a difference in our world, in our society. Um, this isn't a stretch to, to think this, but there, there's sort of this apathetic view that says, ah, the world's just gonna you know, go to hell in a handbasket and there's nothing we can do about it. Even though Jesus told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples, baptize people, like we're supposed to be going against the flow. Um, it's been said, any dead fish can go with the flow. But we're called to be fish that go a little different. We, we swim upstream, and that's, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be living. Uh, and Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men to the disciples, and I think that's part of us as well. So, so you and I have a, a job to do to be a part of what the church is doing, according to the Bible, part of this withholding. Um, and, um, and also, uh, this withholding, uh, I think we as American Christians, uniquely in the world's history, have even a, a greater propensity or ability to withhold. What do you mean, Brett? Well, if you lived as a Christian in the first century, you had zero say in government, you had zero say in what people thought about the church, except for you might say uh, how hot you want to be burned to death at the stake. Uh, like, like you had no say because the government was set up to be you know, these uh, conquering, like the Roman Empire. You had no say in the Roman Empire. You were gonna be killed. Um, but we as Americans who live in what we, we you know, tried to create as a democracy where we get to, you know, for the people, by the people, we the people, we get to vote. We get to have a say in who our leaders are. And um, we're, you know, there's so many people and Christians around the world, even today, that would love to have that opportunity. Um, well, Brett, the elections are corrupted. It's, 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 you know, rigged and all this stuff that's going on. Um, you know, that stuff's way past my pay grade. And I, I wouldn't make those arguments one way or the other. I just know this. Um, why would we give up our, you know, our little ability that we as Christian Americans have to be withholding, to tap the brakes on things like abortion? Why would we give up our right that, that Christians throughout the centuries would have loved to had uh, the say in who their leaders were. Um, and by the way, it's been said before rightly that you know, um, basically any nation really gets the leaders they deserve. But that's never been more true than in the United States of America because we're the ones as a nation who elect who our leaders are gonna be and where we're gonna take this country. And it's sad to see how su such a majority uh, in recent voting cycles um, are voting for stuff that's kinda crazy. Now, I have a theory. I think maybe they overplayed their hand, that side, the evil side that's into things like killing babies in the mother's womb uh, and doing all the other things we, we're gonna talk about tonight. Um, I think they've overplayed their hand and I think there's a little bit of a backlash and this reminds me of what the Bible says about the end times. 
that it would come in sort of ripples or cycles. Um, you know, uh, wave after wave would come uh, as we get closer to the end. The Bible talks about it in several connotations. One is the woman giving birth and childbearing, you know, how it comes as labor pains. Jesus talked about that. Uh, Paul talked about the labor pains, how it's gonna come, you know, you, you families that have had babies, you know. Uh, when the labor pains come, you time them because the more frequent and the more intense they are, that's when you know the baby's getting near. And that's the imagery, which I love when the Bible uses imagery that the whole world has known since day one. I mean, Adam and Eve knew what labor pains were and they knew about how that worked out. Uh, and, uh, and we know that today because it hasn't changed as it turns out. Um, even though the world's trying to say men, uh, you know, uh, men can have babies now too. Uh, that's changed in the last 10 seconds. But uh, most throughout history, we all know that women have, have this thing that we, we know it's called labor and, and it's, it's the il illustration of how it's gonna be. And, and could it be that we've seen some of these uh, labor pains? And, and you, know, you wonder what's gonna happen in this election cycle? Could this be a move toward, um, away from, I should say, godlessness and lawlessness and evil? Or it could be, a, could be another flow toward evil and godlessness. And, and um, you know, you say, well, the Lord's gonna make, make that happen. Well, I think as it turns out, we have a responsibility and we have the privilege as Americans to actually send it one way or another. But Brett, you said it, I want Jesus to come back. So let's vote in all the evil people. So let's just get this thing over with. Um, that's not the right mindset. And it has to do with something Jesus talked about. Would you flip over, uh, I got another word. Uh, the word is occupy. Would you flip over to Luke chapter 19? And this is such a key when it comes to Bible prophecy. Uh, Jesus gives, um, you know, this um, interesting um, story in Luke 19, verse 12. And this, this whole story is about Jesus who's leaving and you know, when he ascends and goes to heaven, then he's gonna come back and he's gonna rule and reign. It's all about the end times, this, this, this story. Uh, so it's Luke 19, verse 12. Uh, he said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. Um, now Jesus is going to get a kingdom. Where is he getting the kingdom? As, as it turns out, we know from the Bible, he's getting it from the Father in heaven. God is giving him that kingdom, if you would. Verse 13, and he called his 10 servants and delivered them 10 pounds. Um, and that's just a unit of money. Um, 10 pounds and said unto them, occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man reign over us. That's the general people. But verse 15, it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, um, then he commanded these servants to be called to him. You know, the 10 servants that got the money. Um, and uh, to whom he had given the money that he might know how much every man gained by trading. Um, now you say, Brett, how, how are they supposed to know? Well, that's what the word occupy means. In fact, before we go on, I want to kind of do a zero in on that word occupy, because that's a weird word that we don't really use today in the same way. Um, but the word occupy, the Greek word uh, is kind of this crazy word, pragmatuomai, uh, which is the word to do business, to put capital to work, take money to make money. It's a very clear term. It's get to work and invest and take money and make money. The money that, that the Lord gave to the 10 servants when he said, occupy till I come. See, I used to feel bad 
for the last guy in the story, if you already know the way the story shakes out, there's a guy who doesn't make anything. He just kind of hides his money away. And you're like, that poor guy, how did he not know? I mean, he, he did know because the word occupy is exactly what Jesus was talking about here. So, um, so Jesus is now, when he comes back, this is sort of like the, the return of Christ. When he comes back, he's gonna check and see how they did with what he gave them. Do you understand where this is going? How are you doing right now with what God gave you? With the power to vote and to direct a nation as a, as a you know, for the people, by the people, uh, how, how is that working out? Are, are we using that well? That's a question to ask. But he says, occupy till I come. And, he, and, and, and so what happens? Well, he comes, verse 16, then came the first saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained 10 pounds. And he said unto him, well done, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in very little, um, and you'll have authority over 10 cities. Um, so this is pretty radical. This guy, he's, because he gained a bunch of money, he gets more responsibility, where? In the kingdom, as it turns out. Well, verse 18, the second came saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said likewise to him, be thou also over five cities. So there's this interesting correlation between what you did with what God gave you, Jesus gave you, um, that's gonna somehow affect your role in the kingdom. Does this ring a bell? Where else do we talk about your role in the kingdom as it relates to what you do? Um, well, there's a judgment called the Bema Seat Judgment. Remember the judgment seat of Christ? That's where the believers go to be judged for their works and how their works were. Um, you and I as Christians won't go to the great white throne judgment where people are thrown into hell. Thank the Lord for that. But we will be put in before the Lord in the Bema Seat Judgment where we're judged according to our works. And then you say, well, who cares? I don't care about rewards as long as I get to heaven. And we've talked about it. It has to do with what your role will be. And the person who made 10 pounds gets 10 cities. The person who made five pounds gets five cities. And another verse 20 came saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee because thou art an austere man. Thou takest up that thou layest not down and reapest that which you did not sow. Um, and he goes on uh, and says, and, and he said unto him, out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that which I had laid down and reaping that which I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury. In, in other words, you could have just put it in the bank and made a little bit of interest, but you didn't even do that, um, is kind of what he's saying. And he said unto them that stood by, take from him the pound and give it to him that hath 10 pounds. And he said unto him, Lord, he hath 10 pounds. For I say unto you that unto everyone which uh, hath, hath shall be given and from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. Whew, boy, this is kind of heavy. Um, now, I'm not gonna get into the heaviness of this as much as to say this. Um, there's kind of an implication that the Lord wants his servants to be busy and to occupy, um, to pragmateomai, uh, uh, to do business, to put the capital, what you've been given, put that to work for the purpose of the kingdom. Uh, that's one of the things we're called to do as Christians. And that's what this word occupy means. So when you hear Christians banter that word around, occupy until I come, what does that mean? 
Well, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. I remember when I was a kid in the 80s and we were talking about Bible prophecy and there was always, there's the bummer about prophecy updates, I have to admit, there's always a kind of a Looney Tune fringe of us prophecy update people. We just take it a little bit too crazy and act a little bit weird. Uh, there, you know, there's just kind of a weirdness and that, that's a bummer. We don't do ourselves any favors when it comes to prophecy updates and prophecy uh, blogs and channels and you know, things like that. Uh, we need to kind of bring it back down to the ground and be normal. But one of the things, I, I've seen a lot of craziness about prophecy, but in the 80s, I actually saw people charging up their credit cards uh, and saying, hey, the Lord's coming back. The rapture of the church is gonna happen. I think some of those people are still paying it off. And it's like, you know, 40 years later uh, uh, because the rapture of the church did not happen. That's, that's just bad behavior. Why? Because they, they're, they're doing exactly what Jesus said not to do. He, he's saying, occupy till I come. In other words, live your life, do your business, put your capital to work until I come. Um, so there's this interesting tension that the Bible gives us. And I love this tension. And this is where a lot of people make the mistake, I think, uh, when they uh, have views on eschatology or end times. Um, and they, they take the tensions and they kind of go one way or the other. But I like the tension. What's the tension? The tension is this. You and I, we believe in eminence. That is, we don't know when the rapture of the church is going to happen. It could be tonight. That'd be glorious. And we are to live our lives with that hope of the rapture of the church and, the, and eventually the second coming of Christ. We live with that expectation. It could be today. Could be tomorrow. But, um, and by the way, when you have that hope, First John chapter three says, he who has this hope purifies himself. I love that. What a, what a great uh, thing. It's true. If you believe the rapture could happen tonight, you're not gonna go down and party down tonight and after the prophecy update, go down to a strip club and mess around, drink some beers. And you're not gonna do that because you're, you're, you're saying, man, I wanna live my life as if the rapture of the church happens tonight. There's a purifying effect. It makes us wanna walk with the Lord. But the other side of that tension is what if he doesn't come tonight? Well, the Bible tells us, go for it. Live your life hard and, and whatever you do, do heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men and occupy until I come. Be busy about the work of the kingdom. That's what the Lord is asking us to do. That's what this word occupy, it's that tension of, we, we, we don't wanna be um, stuck in this world saying, yeah, it's all about this world, living for this world. But we also have this tension of saying, that's not about this world and the rapture of the church, praise the Lord, could happen tonight. But if it doesn't, I'm gonna live my life for Christ as hard as I know how. Whatsoever you do, do heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. That's this tension. And by the way, uh, people get confused on this, by the way, because um, they think that somehow it's linked to, uh, you know, are you saved by grace or are you saved by your works? Um, and people get all up into this. And I think there's something that's a little bit of a problem. Those of us who believe and know the Bible teaches clearly that you're saved by grace through faith, not of your works, lest any man should boast, right? The Bible's clear on that one. But we, what happens to us that, that really understands salvation through grace, sometimes we forget about works. Yeah, forget about works, whatever. Saved by grace, go to heaven, um, so I can do whatever I want and waste time here on earth. Well, that's not true either, is it? That's why James says faith without works is what? Dead. Dead. Deader than a doornail. So it's not that you're saved by works, but James is saying evidence of your salvation through grace will be seen if you're doing the work of the kingdom. We should all be busy about the work of the kingdom. Um, by the way, uh, there, there's an old Billy Graham clip 
Do you remember when Billy Graham was a little more fiery? Some of you older people. Billy, when he's older, he was very mellow and calm. But I kind of liked the fiery version sometimes. You know, the fire, he was a little bit fire and brimstone sometimes. But um, I brought a snippet with me. This is Billy Graham in Melbourne, Australia uh, in, in 1959. And he's talking about this, um, you know, this uh, pragmatomai uh, in a sermon uh, that I think is pretty cool. Check this out. The Bible says that this hope of his coming should cause us to watch. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. The Bible indicates that to us that know him, it should purify us, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself. It should make us united as Christians, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. It should cause us to evangelize. Occupy till I come. Occupy with loving your neighbor. Occupy. Don't sit down and say the Lord's coming. I'm just going to sit here and wait for his coming. No. That's sin against God. That's displeasing to God. Go back to your school. Go back to your home. Go back to your church. Go back to your social obligations. And work as you've never worked. Occupy till I come. Go down among the people. Help the poor. Love your neighbor no matter what race he may be. Give food for the hungry. Get involved in the world in which we're living as a light and a shining testimony for Christ. Ye are the salt of the earth. Ye are the light of the world. Live for him. And this burning hope within you should make you live more intensely for him than ever before. With far deeper commitment to him than ever before. Amen. <laughs> Something about old Billy, man. Uh, he, he, he would stir you up. And I think there's a real truth to that. Um, now, uh, I, here's the thing. Here's the thing about this. Some of you, I know what you're thinking. Pastor Brett, you know, you are using your pounds and you have lots of them. Um, <laughs> you're using your pounds for the kingdom. And uh, I, you're, when you get to heaven, you know, because you're sharing the gospel on Sundays and you're a pastor and you're doing all this ministry. So you, when you get to heaven, you're gonna have all this reward. Um, and I'm just a stay-at-home mom and I'm wiping snotty noses and changing dirty diapers. And I'm, I'm worried I'm not out busy serving the Lord like I should. I'm not gonna have any rewards in heaven. That is so misguided. I gotta say that. Um, the pounds that, you know, you've been given has to do with what God gave you. And, and it's not as much, you know, while he's away, he's given each person a pound. He's given every one uh, of his servants an opportunity, and that opportunity is one pound. You are to be faithful uh, over that which he's made you steward. Um, your pound may be an entire city um, or, or just a tiny handful of people, or maybe your little rugrats at home. Uh, that you're watching and caring for and loving on. And if you're faithful, that, that's the operative word. Whatever you are, you're called to be faithful. And that's where you're investing. Notice, <clears throat> I think that the Lord is gonna reward you based on his economy. Um, the pastor that's up in front of crowds like Billy Graham or even you know little old me, um, the Bible kind of talks about how sort of you have your reward in some ways because you get people saying, oh, good sermon, you know, nice job, pat, pat, pat. It's like, that is your reward. But it's the people that are doing work behind the scenes, the mom who's wiping the snotty noses unconditionally and lovingly. Like, I think there's rewards in heaven 
that have much more to do with God's economy and not as much ours. So, so don't be you know, thinking, oh, I'm not gonna have any rewards in heaven. The, the question is, are you being faithful to what God has called you to be and do in this world today? And uh, I think that's kind of an important thing. So, um, you know, some people may gain five pounds, if you would, some 10 pounds, but the Lord is, um, when he comes again, he'll, re- he'll seems like he'll reward you according to your, how faithful you were to take the, what he gave you and to deal with it as, as, uh, as the best you possibly knew how. Um, all of this is the theme as it relates to Bible prophecy and his coming. Um, we should be busy, and I agree with Billy Graham, Uh, We should be busy about the work of the Lord. Um, And this theme goes on and on. We can talk about this all night. Matthew chapter 24, the Olivet Discourse, one of the biggest, um, you know, end times passages of all the Bible. Jesus finishes that whole rap about the, you know, when the disciple says, when's the end of the world? And Jesus gave, you know, chapter after chapter about what the end of the world's gonna look like. But he finishes up that by saying, you know, in Matthew 24, 45, who then is uh, a faithful and wise servant? That's the first one he's gonna talk about here, the faithful and the wise servant, whom the Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season. Blessed, the word is happy. Happy is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. Doing what? Um, you know, he's the one who's, um, you know, doing the work uh, as the servant of the Lord, whom his Lord, when he finds him doing that, verily, verse 47, I say to you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. Same kind of language, but different from what Luke, Luke, you know, the story in Luke was a little story of, of the guys with the pounds, but this is literally the faithful servant. When the Lord returns, he's gonna find some people, you know, being faithful, Um, When the rapture of the church happens, he's gonna find some people that were faithful. And then the next group of people, well, they're they're the next part of that scripture. Matthew 24, verse 48 says, but, and if that evil servant, that's who we're talking about now, now this is the bad servant, shall say in his heart, my Lord delays his coming and shall begin to smite his fellow servants. The idea is he's he's not thinking the Lord could come back tomorrow, so I'm gonna kind of be mean to my fellow servants. I'm not gonna care about being nice to people or doing good. I'm gonna, I'm gonna you know, be vindictive and mad. And you know, that's the idea. He shall begin to smite his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunken party animal. The, uh, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looks not for him and in an hour that he's not aware of. There's a group of people that are supposed to be servants of the Lord, but are not serving the Lord. But instead, they're partying down and drinking with the wicked and, and being mean and doing stuff, punching each other in the face is the idea here. And the Lord is gonna come when they're least expecting it. And, and I gotta say, you know, as churches by and large around the world are you know, saying, yeah, whatever on the rapture of the church, the second coming, there are a lot of people that could care less about that. And I, I'm, I'm concerned that there's a lot of seeming Christians who are saying, ah, the Lord delays is coming. You guys have been talking about that for years. You know, look at that, Billy Graham, you know, back in 1959 uh, was talking about that. Uh, but you know what? We're, we're doing exactly what, Billy was doing exactly what he was supposed to be doing. <clears throat> he was supposed to be talking about the rapture of the church, the second, <clears throat> excuse me, coming of Christ. <clears throat> Even though it didn't happen in his time. Well, Brett, he's a big dupe then because he lived his life thinking that could happen soon. Nope. He lived exactly the way we were called to live as if the Lord could come in our lifetime. And so did Paul the apostle. So did Peter. Like the Bible characters thought the Lord could return during their lifetime. Were they wrong? No, they were doing exactly what the Lord wanted them to do. Live 
with that expectation and the hope of the return of Christ. That's the way we're supposed to live. Well, what if he doesn't come in our lifetime? Uh, big deal. At least we lived our lives the way God required us to live and being faithful to serve, as Billy was being faithful in that clip that we just saw. Um, so what's gonna happen when he's partying down with a drunk and the Lord comes in an hour when he thinks not? Verse 51, um, he shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion for the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We could talk about where that is and what that is, and there's debate. Are we talking about hell? I'm not gonna make an argument one way or the other, but wouldn't you agree that's where you don't wanna be? Whatever that is, I don't want any part of that. Get, get me away from any weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't want any part of that. So, so the better thing is to be the faithful servant, uh, as it turns out. Now, go back with me to, to 2 Thessalonians, um, where we were as we started out tonight. And um, there's, there's some things here that uh, it raises some key question. What are we, uh, the church, restraining by the power of the Holy Spirit? I think there's some very specific things that we could even identify even today. Things that the church, and it's only the church, it's only the Christians that are sort of doing a withholding or a letting or a restraining. There's only a few things. But I think they're all the things that are precursors to when the, the Antichrist is gonna come. Um, the, the, the first one is this idea of apostasy. Uh, you can jot that down in your notes. Apostasy? Well, there in our text in, in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, um, we saw um, that that was sort of, it wasn't the, the word there in the English where it says in verse 3, uh, let no man deceive you by any means for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. Um, and that's an interesting Greek word. It's the, it's the Greek word apostasia, where we get our word apostasy. And that's just a fancy word um, that uh, we use as Christians. And if you're new to Christianity, you might say, what's apostasy? Uh, what's that word? Well, it means falling away. But if you look up the Greek word, it's an interesting um, word that means this. And, it's, and the Greek word is apostasia. It means rebellion or an abandonment um, an apostasy. The, the idea is abandoning that which you once followed, um, rebelling against what you know to be true. And this word apostasy is often linked to those who once sort of knew about the Lord, maybe were raised in a Christian home, knew about Jesus and the doctrines of the church, but eventually said, yeah, I'm out of here. I'm gonna rebel against that. I'm gonna abandon my faith. And, um, and to fully identify and sort of combat against this, because our, our verse said in verse three, you know, uh, that day will not come, the, the day of Christ and the day of this coming wicked one, that will not come except there be a great falling away first. So you and I, when we see apostasy today, you and I can say, could this be the apostasy that was spoken of by Paul in First Thess Second Thessalonians chapter two? Uh, the apostasia, the rebellion. And, and the world right now is marveling at how people are bailing out of faith at exponential levels. Um, they're, they're, you know, here in Portland, you know, there was a study done recently. And, um, you know, the, those that would identify themselves as irreligious, having no religious faith, uh, is, is skyrocketing right now. And especially among Gen Z and, and millennials, um, they're seeing a great falling away. Um, to fully identify apostasy, Christians should understand this. There's various forms and the traits that characterize um, this, but um, the forms, there's two main forms of apostasy. The first one is the idea of falling away from key 
and true doctrine. The word doctrine is the teachings of the Bible. So there's a falling away of just true teaching of the Bible, and we're seeing that. Um, heretical teachings that claim to be the real Christian doctrine. Um, that's the word apostasy. And that's why you, know, you, you might hear me sort of come against the higher education so-called so much. And it's not because I'm really anti-education. I'm just anti-watching so many of these Christian universities that are getting away from true solid doctrine. It's, it's, it's crazy. If you think you're sending your kids to a Christian college and it's all rosy and they're gonna get good solid doctrine, you got another thing coming. A lot of the universities and colleges, their, their theology professors are some of the worst. They don't even believe in the inspiration of scripture. They're, they're teaching you know, uh, seducing kind of doctrines that are just really evil. And that falling away, I think we can attribute a lot of our young people today, that's happening in the schools from grade school all the way up through college. This falling away apostasy is happening right in front of our eyes as parents. And then we scratch our heads and wonder, why are our kids walking away from the Lord? Uh, duh, you sent them to be indoctrinated uh, at a school, not educated, that's the problem. The second form of apostasy is a complete renunciation of Christian faith, which results in full abandonment of Christ. One of the things, if you've been following this in the Christian world, we've seen a lot of church leaders do this. Publicly renounce their faith, all the worship leaders that were big names, people that wrote big books that were in the Christian church. In the last you know, four or five years, we've seen these, many of these leaders um, uh, renounce their faith publicly. Um, by the way, Jesus mentions this also in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, 10. It says, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. This is one of the signs of the times when we see this falling away. There's um, increase in church dropouts. Barna Research Group, group uh, did a study. The percentage of young adult dropouts has increased from 59 to 64%. Nearly two-thirds of U.S. 18 to 29-year-olds who grew up in church tell Barna they have withdrawn from church involvement as an adult after having been active as a child or a teen. And this is just one example of what's happening today in our world. We're seeing a, a, a massive moving away or apostasia that's actually happening right now. Um, one of the things that you and I are supposed to be doing is restraining, letting, withholding that. We should be about sharing the gospel and, and, and attempting to um, get some of these people that are bailing on faith and try to win them back. Oh, whatever, if they wanna go to hell, they can. Well, that's not really the heart of the Lord. That's not really the attitude we're, we're given. The Lord says when he's talking about the end of the world and the end times, he tells Peter, through Peter, I should say, he says, oh, I would that none should perish. In fact, that's why the Lord has delayed his coming. He's not delaying his coming because he's lazy or slack, Second Peter talks about, but he, he says, I, I, I'm, I'm waiting for those last people who will accept and believe and follow. Oh, he says, you can almost hear the longingness in the Lord's heart. That, that everyone would come to know Jesus Christ and be saved. So the first thing that we see uh, as a mark of these days that's gonna come before the revealing of Antichrist is we're gonna see great apostasy. That's the first thing that we see. Um, another thing that we read about here in our text back to Thess 2 Thessalonians is this idea of deception. That's why what we read tonight in these verses, you kind of go, man, this is talking about today, right? Uh, where it says there in verse nine, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan. 
um, uh, you know, uh, this, is, uh, this is the Antichrist with all powers and signs. And what's he gonna have? Lying wonders. What's a lying wonder? Um, people are gonna lie and be like, wow, that's a wonder. Check out that lie. Does that sound familiar? Like I'm, I'm hearing lies today. I go, I can't believe people, people will believe this. Like, do you really think people are gonna believe this? I'm like, yep, they do. Wow, lying wonders. And notice with all deceivableness, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that uh, perish because they receive not the love of truth. Do you love truth? Um, man, uh, you know, when, when you're a Bible person, you understand Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So you, as a Christian, you kind of go, I love truth because Jesus is the embodiment of truth. But in our culture, to love lies and to believe and embrace lies is sort of the opposite of loving Jesus. And that's kind of what we're seeing and we're seeing it at the highest levels. Um, that's the most amazing thing. We're seeing deception today and it seems like we've checked our brains in. Um, I, I was, you know, I, I mean, I know that I should probably kind of expect this coming from our president, but I was, even I was shocked that he, he had this, this guy come into the uh, Oval Office and I brought a little snippet just so you could see um, this whole thing here. Check this out watching and the numbers kept getting higher, I realized quickly how public my transition would be. Of course, I knew that there would be backlash and negativity. I try to not let the internet's words hurt me or my spirit. But do you know what does hurt? Seeing people in power and authority figures creating laws and bills that are actively trying to harm us transhumans, especially trans children. Our lives have become political talking points. Lawmakers in many states want to exclude us from participating in sports or getting proper health care. Some folks want to decide where we can use the bathroom. No one should have fear living in a state that they call home while being true to themselves. No one should have their lives put in danger because of who they are inside. That's why I'm sharing my story with the world. I'm using my platform to stand up for my community and for any of the little Dylans that deserve a clear path to their true identity. Uh, Mr. President, this is my 221st day of publicly transitioning. God and, love you. Uh, and and he sat there, and you know they interviewed. She interviewed. He he interviewed uh, him uh, for a long time. And and he, you know Biden just kind of st stammered through the whole interview, not really knowing what to say. Uh, it was just the whole thing was painful and awkward. Um, but it, here's the highest level in our country: a guy just going, "Yeah, yeah, you're a woman." Uh, that's, that's, that's what we, uh, we, we would, I would call that insanity. We've accepted deception. Yep. Um, it's, it, that's exactly what it is. Uh, the whole thing, the whole gender issue is such a deception, you know, um, uh, where they're saying no one is born male or female. Uh, they're whatever gender they say they are. And so we've believed that so stupidly, um, you know, this whole, you know, um, men competing in women's sports, I can't believe it's gone as far as it has. Um, I, I, I was tempted to put some footage up there of a, uh, of a guy who claimed he was a woman and went into the UFC ring with a woman and cracked her skull and sent her to the hospital. And we thought that was awesome as Americans. It's like we used to put people in jail. If a man were to crush a woman's skull, that used to be something you'd go to jail for. Today, uh, the world's like, yeah, that's, that's what we call sports. Uh, and, and I'm gonna say it's um, the rest of the world, by the way, 
thinks we're crazy. Like, like the United States, we're uniquely insane on this gender thing. Yahoo News article um, told us about the Turkey, uh, the nation Turkey, their anti-LGBT display reflects the nation's political shift. Um, as Turkey gets more radicalized in Islam, they're taking it a whole different way. And there was a huge protest a few days ago. Um, and basically, this, their signs say, they hold banners that read, law for the development of the spirit and of moral, and uh, LGBTQ, remove your dirty hands from our children. Uh, and that was a radical protest of faith. You know, I mean, here's the Muslims. Uh, who would have thought the Muslims would be arguing something we would be arguing? I mean, um, you know, and, and they, the, the Islamic faith takes it to a whole nother level. You know, even though we're against this kind of sin, we don't hang gay people from cranes to die, uh, you know, a death. Uh, that, that's, that's something, you know, we, we actually want to help the homosexual and that they would repent of their sin and that they could be helped in a way that would be glorifying to God. That's, that's what we hope for. But the rest of the world thinks we're nuts. Even Putin, uh, I talked about that last prophecy, how Putin was mocking the United States for being morally corrupt. Uh, and he makes a, a good point, but it takes, that's like the pot calling the kettle black, but be that as it may. Um, interesting, you know, this whole gender thing with children and the mutilation, mutilation of children is something that I think is the worst thing that's happening right now, uh, along with abortion, uh, but it's the same thing. We're mutilating children. Um, we, we, we were, we're, we're doing it only in the mother's womb. Now we're doing it outside the mother's womb and it's only gonna get worse. But um, you know, it's funny how science has gone out the window. The American College of Pediatricians, um, they had a position statement uh, back in November of 2018 um, uh, talking about this issue of uh, gender dysphoria um, in children. Uh, their position was officially this. Um, uh, this is sort of their abstract. Um, gender dysphoria resolves in the vast majority of patients by late adolescence. Um, the, the vast majority, that is most kids that have this so-called gender dysphoria, um, dysphoria that they, they will realize, oh, that's nothing, and they, they'll grow out of it by the time they're you know, uh, in their late adolescence. So what happens when you mutilate a child physically or with these um, you know, uh, medications that sort of uh, block uh, you know, they're puberty blockers and stuff. Um, well, Brett, they don't hurt us. Uh, they don't hurt people, uh, according to everybody else. Well, as it turns out, that's wrong. Um, this, this paper goes on from the American uh, College of Pedi Pediatricians. Currently, there is a vigorous, albeit suppressed, they're saying this is a suppressed debate among physicians, therapists, and academics regarding what is fast becoming the new treatment standard for gender dysphoria in children. This new paradigm is rooted in the assumption that gender dysphoria is innate and involves pubertal suppression with um, uh, uh, gonadotropin-releasing uh, hormone GnRH uh, and uh, uh, agonists, following by the use of a cross-sex hormone, a combination that results in the sterility of minors. That's the, when, when the you know gender people experts all say, "Oh yeah, these medicines don't do anything. It's not permanent." Um, it is, and it, it's been proven to cause uh, sterile, sterility in these children. A review of the current literature suggests that this protocol is founded upon an unscientific gender ideology and it lacks evidence uh, for their base. And it violates the longstanding ethical principle of first, do not harm or do no harm. 
Um, th this was the stand of a couple years ago, that the, but, but it's been suppressed and doctors are being put down and there's enough crazy doctors out there that are saying, yeah, bring it on, let's do it. And um, now, by the way, the FDA just recently came out with a warning to this, uh, you know, uh, puberty blocker, uh, the GNRH uh, agonist, um, after having identified as a serious potential side effect for some that may cause a dangerous surge of spinal fluid pressure in the brain uh, that causes headaches, nausea, double vision, and even permanent vision loss. Um, this is the deception that's going on in our world, and we're seeing that at the expense of our children. Um, and man, I could go on. There's so many de deceptions. Uh, you know, the drug deception, um, and the, the medications. I've been trying to speak about, you know, these serotonin level altering drugs that we've been chomping down uh, for years now, for 30 years. And now they're, they're coming out saying, uh, well, we didn't really test that. And we probably should have, but we didn't. Um, you know, the, the drugs, the big pharma, they've been deceiving us for years and years. Do you remember when OxyContin was supposed to be not uh, addictive? Uh, and now there's people, even to this day, I've got friends who are dead because they, got, they had an a injured leg, the doctor gave them these uh, medicines and became deeply, irreparably addicted to these drugs. Um, and it's, it's just something we, we've seen. Um, there's, a, there's a movie finally out that basically tells the story. What's it called? I think it's called um, Dope, Dope Sick, Dope Sick. Not necessarily recommending the movie, but it is the true story about the, 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 this family that was pushing OxyContin and making billions of dollars at the expense of people dying. Um, and it's just kind of what's been going on, misinformation. We saw this even again most recently with the COVID uh, vax misinformation. Um, and, and now everybody's talking about, sh should we forgive the people that were cramming that down our throats? And like, there's this big discussion. Should we be angry? Or, like, it's, it's a weird discussion to have, but yeah, um, that's misinformation. Um, climate change. Why isn't Al Gore apologizing for his, uh, you know, inconvenient truth since none of what he said was gonna happen has happened, you know, 20 plus years later. That's, that's what we call deception. Um, uh, climate change, you know, this, this massive emergency of everybody's gonna die in 12 years or whatever. Um, it's really not, not true. Um, and uh, I, I've not believed that really from the beginning, but more and more scientists, are you seeing this? This is quietly happening behind the scenes. Uh, Euro Weekly article, scientists and professionals from across the world declare there is no climate emergency. Um, and by the way, this, this article says hundreds of scientists and professionals from across the world led by the Norwegian physics Nobel Prize laureate professor Ivar uh, Giever declared that there's no climate emergency. These are, these are brainiac guys that are saying uh, no. Now, when they say no climate emergency, just, just for you that are earth worshipers, maybe that are watching and saying, Brett, that's irresponsible to talk about the climate that way. Um, they're saying, they're all agreeing there's no climate emergency. In other words, um, if you look at sea levels, and by the way, they, that's one of the biggest problems, the rising sea levels. It's gonna, you know, all the cities are gonna be underwater. Well, you have to understand, that's a very, very slow process. Um, you know, um, by the way, uh, the, the seas have risen, and we can talk about ice ages and what's happened since those time periods and all that. But, um, you know, but uh, most of the places in the world, it, it varies where you are in the world, by the way, which is kind of interesting. But, um, you know, um, I think it's something like 30 centimeters every 100 years. Does that make you feel like there's a dire emergency right now? 
I mean, build a levee. Uh, like, like this is what we did in, in New Orleans and Florida. And did you know most of the, I think it's the Netherlands, you know, they built canals and walls that basically protect them from the surges of the ocean that's been rising for a hundred years or whatever. It's like, we kind of figured out, put some sandbags and let's, let's block it all. Like there's, there's things we can do. Humanity, uh, God gave us brains and that we can actually figure stuff out. And we got a hundred years to figure that out. Um, and, and whether it's caused by humans or not, I think that's all part of the deception. And, and you can see it because it has to do with power grabs and taxation and controlling people and all that stuff. That's, that's the real issue that we're seeing. So this is part of this great deception that we're reading here. Um, with all deceivableness and unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth. We're seeing the stage set for people being duped um, um, I'm gonna say bamboozled by Beelzebub. Don't do that, watch out. The, probably one of the biggest deceptions in my opinion is the abortion deception. Uh, that it's just a blob of fetal tissue and it's not really a life in the mother's womb. That's ridiculous. Uh, any scientist knows that babies uh, are babies in the mother's womb. That's why they do in vitro surgeries now. That's why they can deliver babies way premature and they're perfectly able to survive outside the mother's womb. Um, this is one of the biggest uh, issues, I think, as Christians. Um, deception. It's deception in our schools. Our schools have been running rampant with deception, um, you know, sending our children to be indoctrinated, not educated. Um, you know, be of alert to the fact that educators, they're there to undermine everything that has to do with Christianity. And, and by the way, I always like to put this in there, Christian teachers in the public school, we need to be praying for them. They, uh, they're on the defense every single day. There's pressure for them to cave and we need to pray for these few teachers that are still trying to hold out. Uh, that's the front line right there, front line. If you're a Christian teacher, Front lines, we should be praying for them. Um, and our schools and our worldview, it reminds me of what Isaiah talks about, you know. Isaiah chapter 50, uh, verse 20 and 21, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light, light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet, sweet for bitter. Woe unto them. Uh, when the Bible says woe, that means really bad things. <laughs> woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Second uh, Timothy four, verses three and four, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned to fables. So these deceptions. Now you say, okay, Brett, but what does that have to do with elections? Well, that's why I think this 2022 midterm election that's gonna happen on Tuesday is maybe unique I mean, I think I would say um, all the elections in my lifetime have been unique in some ways, but can I just say as a pastor, one of the more unique parts of this midterm election is I see less political issues on the ballot than I do spiritual issues. That's kind of an interesting thing. I mean, a lot of times there's been, you know, political things and normally I think I would say, yeah, whatever, vote however you want, do whatever you want. Um, but as Christians, I, I would like us to be aware that there's all these spiritual things on the ballot, ballot these politicians that are on the, on the voting card, man, you, you guys, you know, we, we have to be able to remind people that there are spiritual things that are up on the ballot this year. Politicians who support riots and looting, uh, but believe they have the authority to shut down the church like Athey Creek and tell us not to worship here. Um, that's our governor. Our governor was supporting the riots 
Um, and you know, ma- the, during the coronavirus, everybody's supposed to be at home masking, unless you were rioting, but you surely shouldn't be going to church. And I got letters, personal letters from the governor saying, you know, Eighth Creek's going down because of this. Now, fortunately, we have a little thing called the Constitution. And uh, when we had uh, Jenna Ellis write a letter to our governor and say, uh, hey, I just won a few victories uh, against California. Uh, four churches ha- are getting $2 million a piece from the state of California. And by the way, leave, leave Athey Creek alone. Uh, we never heard again from uh, Governor Brown from that day forward. So thank the Lord for that. <laughs> but but that, that's the stuff that's on the ballot right now. You know, whether we keep Kate Brown or, you know, honestly, the options now, Kate Brown looks like a conservative compared to some of the options you have today uh, for governor. Um, So, you know, politicians who are wanting to divide us into classed categories by virtue of our race, our ethnicity, or our income. They want to divide people groups and rather than putting us together. They're they're politicians around the the United States who uh, would hire private security to guard their mansions but support defunding the police. Like this is, this, police is a very spiritual thing. Did you know that? Romans 13 says the law, um, you know, the law enforcement is a ministry of God. That's what Romans 13 says. He who wields the sword, uh, executing righteousness in the law. Um, and you know who was being talked about there? It was the Roman. The Roman soldier was called a minister of God because he was, um, you know, the law enforcement of the time. Read Romans 13. But our world, a lot of people have this deceit This weird deception of, yeah, the world would be better if we defunded the police. That's ridiculous. And how's that working out for us? Um, How does Oregon look? How's Oregon done with this idea of, you know, we've had so many law enforcement officers that were part of our church who are now living in other states because it was too hostile to be a police officer here in our state. Um, Politicians who, um, you know, support Black Lives Matter except when they are in the mother's womb. That's a problem for me. That's a problem for me. Politicians who believe the nuclear family is a laboratory for progressive social experimentation. And whatever you do, don't let the parents in on it. You know, let's not tell the parents of these kids at schools and the teachers are making unilateral decisions about kids and their gender and stuff like that behind parents' back. This is all stuff that's on the ballot right now. And you and I as Christians, we have this, you might say it's a minuscule power, but that's what everybody says but if the church of Jesus Christ would say, wow, we have the privilege of deciding who leads us, we can either have politicians who believe men can give birth and gender can be changed, or we can you know, uh, vote for politicians who actually say, no, that's not the way it works. Um, these are not political issues, they're very spiritual is- issues. Um, one of the true marks of the last days would be a resistance to the truth. That's what we read here in 2 Thessalonians. Um, you know, that they would not want to receive the truth, but they'd be more prone to lying wonders and have this deceivableness. So what does this have to do with the midterms? We, we have the privilege to move our culture. Um, you say, but Brett, we don't think the culture is going to move. Well, we don't know that. We don't know if the rapture of the church is going to be tomorrow, and we're told to occupy until he comes. So that's why we vote. That's why we need to be uh, taking advantage of the wonderful privilege that we have. Um, You know, I wonder, uh, this is just, I'm not gonna make a a huge case of this, but I wonder if during the Bema Seat judgment, if people are gonna be shocked who sat around saying, ah, you know, whatever's gonna happen, it's God's sovereignty, I'm not gonna vote, it's only one vote in millions, so what matter? By the way, if you've taken that line, have you been watching the elections in the last few seasons? There's been elections that have been so close 
by even hundred, just a few hundred, you know, ballots. Um, and, and, and to sit around and say, yeah, my vote doesn't matter. Like you haven't been watching what's been going on. Uh, we are very evenly divided in this country and every little vote matters as it turns out. So that's kind of wacko. But I wonder if we stand before the Bema seat judgment of Christ. I wonder if like the man that was given the pound stood there and well, I put it in a napkin. Uh, hello. Is that what happens when the Lord gave you a vote in our country? Where I gave you a vote. You, you, could, you could choose your leaders, Christians in America. And yet you're saying, yeah, whatever. Um, I wonder if during the Bema Seat Judgment, we're gonna be that guy that's gonna be real bummed that we didn't use what God gave us for, for, for his purpose and for his kingdom. Um, you know, not voting is a vote for abortion. Not voting is a vote against Israel. You know, not voting is turning a blind eye to the sexualization of children. Not voting will possibly continue religious discrimination on a higher level, especially here in Oregon. Um, these are the issues that are on the ballots right now. And, and um, you know, Oregon, we're the tip of the spear. The rest of the country thinks we're totally crazy, and we are. They're right. When you travel around and you leave Oregon and you go to other places, you're kind of shocked at, oh yeah, there's still normal people. There's still normal places where they don't, they're not crazy and stuff like that. You know, Oregon legalizing drugs, how's that working out? Homelessness, it's horrible right now in Oregon. Crime has gone off the, uh, off the record charts right now in Oregon. Our governor um, is, is not done well. Um, and the question is, what are we gonna do? Now, with all that said, don't get me wrong. This, the, the main thing is still Jesus. We keep the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing is Jesus. So I'm, I'm harping on this one point. Um, and I do think we as Christians have been given something that the Lord's blessed us with an opportunity to make a difference one way or the other. But, but we still know that the main thing is Jesus. And, and here's the good news. As a Christian, this is what I love about what we get to do. No matter what happens on Tuesday in the midterms and how they turn out, I have a hunch they're gonna ebb the other way because it's been so crazy. It seems like a lot of Americans are like, yeah, we probably let it go a little too far. So we're gonna maybe swing the other way, it seems. If we get the House, the Senate, um, and all that, who knows? But, but here's the good news. If you're a believer here, it's a win-win. Because of what I said earlier, if we did our duty and voted and prayed and gave this over to the Lord, no matter what happens, it's a win for us because the Lord is sovereign and he is working out all these things together for good. And so we can vote and then not stress out. Even if we lose what we voted, we can say, Lord, you know what you're doing and we're gonna put our trust in you. It's a win-win for the Christian. Um, that's the beautiful part. Um, yes, yeah. Um, we still are gonna preach the gospel and you know what? We'll preach the gospel even if we have to do it from jail. Uh, I'm okay with that. Uh, jail ministry worked well for Paul. Um, a lot of Romans accepted Jesus when Paul was in prison, so maybe that would happen. So, you know, I'm good either way. But, um, but all that to say, um, this, this is what I wanna say uh, this, on this prophecy update. I, I actually had some other things around the world I was gonna talk about, um, <laughs> but we're gonna have to save that for next time. But I, I hope we, we take this. And if you're saying, Brett, I know this already, I, I'm gonna vote, I already have voted or whatever. But I wonder if maybe there's family members or friends that you could take what I've shared tonight and maybe pass that along to them lovingly, as friendly as you can, uh, and maybe make a little more of a difference uh, with, with some of the apathy that's out there. When people aren't, aren't actually using what God has given us 
that we should be thankful for as Americans. We should be thankful for, uh, well, Brett, what if the election's rigged? Well, that's out of my wheel, my circle of influence. I can't affect that, um, but I can still vote and I can do my best. I think do your best, pray that it's blessed, and he'll take care of the rest. In fact, I'd like to end, <laughs> I'd like to end with just three things. First of all, so what do we do? I've got three things for you to do and then we're gonna wrap it up. Number one, pray. What do we do? We pray. Um, I'm committed to praying during these midterms. Um, you know, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, I exhort you therefore, first of all, supplication, prayer, in, uh, intercession, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, for all who are in authority, that we may lead um, you know, a peaceable, quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of our Savior, God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved, who would or will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's what the Lord's heart is. So number one, pray. I think we should all be committed to praying from now through Tuesday to kind of another level, maybe even fasting and prayer. This would be a good time, I think, to do that. You know, fasting, one of the things we learned in, in the Gospel of Matthew is fasting is often linked to um, battling demonic entities. Remember that? We saw that. I think a lot of the things that are on the ballot today have very much to do with demonic influence in this world. So we should be fasting and praying, I think, during this time. Number two, we're almost done, trust. This is where we just trust the Lord. Psalm 118, verse eight through nine, is better to trust the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to put trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Um, that's still true. So yes, pray. Trust, and then lastly, I would just say vote. Don't forget to vote. Occupy till I come. That's what I think that part of that means. Live our lives knowing that the rapture may or may not happen, but we're gonna still do our best to occupy until he comes, amen? Amen. 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 Lord, we are thankful so much uh, for the confidence that we have in you. Lord, that we don't have to freak out or be stressed out about what's going on in the world, but we have peace that passes understanding because of who you are, Lord. We're so thankful for that peace, and I pray that you just give my brothers and sisters, no matter what happens on Tuesday, I pray that we would not only have peace, but we would represent what that looks like. Lord, that we would let people know that there's a true peace, even if things don't go our way, that we have a peace that goes beyond elections and the world's situation. Um, Lord, I pray as end times believers, it seems like we're living in those days, I pray that we would be those who are part of your letting and restraining the world from going totally berserk. Uh, use us in that job description that you've given us, Lord. And then when time is up, we know you'll take us out of the way. You'll take us up to be with you in the rapture where we'll be with you forever. We thank you, Lord, for that. We look forward to that. But until then, we offer our lives a living sacrifice to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.